So this morning, as like I said, I was sitting at the Cardinals game, kind of going through some things and thinking about what it is that, I, that God would have me share this morning. I just came across this idea, and, and I'll just be upfront and honest with you. It's a message that I've done before, but even Solomon in his great wisdom said there's nothing new under the sun. And so, uh, so I started thinking about this message and really just kind of processing what it would look like uh, for us in today. And this is something I've shared with students, but I've kind of shifted it a little bit. And I want you to understand, and I've, I've titled this message, if you take notes or anything like that, The Reckless Ones. And I want to ask you this morning to think of that thought. Am I a reckless one? And I know the first thought immediately is, is reckless has that negative connotation all the time. Like immediately we go in that notion and in that mindset of, man, if someone's reckless, they're just careless, right? They don't think about anything. They don't really focus on anything. It's a mess, right? A hot mess. If you meet my girls, you will understand what reckless really means. No, I'm just playing. It's just chaos, right? We think that way. But really, when you dive into that word and you think about that word, and when God uses it in scripture, and when we talk about the saints in the book of Acts, the first church, really, they're known as a reckless group of people. And that's not a messy, just thrown together group in the sense of they're just have no care about what they look like or what they present, but they were reckless in the way that they didn't care what other people thought about them. They were in love with Jesus. They were in love with what he was doing. They were in love so much with the Holy Spirit and what God wanted to do in their lives that it didn't matter what the world around them said, even to the point of death. Because you need to understand in those times, they were faced with death often for believing in what they believed in. And yet they chose to be vocal. They chose to do things that would put them in a position where others might look at them and want to physically harm them or even worse, outcast them from the society itself. And so when I ask you this question this morning, I really want you to go deep with me and think about this notion, am I reckless? And not in the negative way, but am I reckless in my relationship with Jesus? And I want to take you to Acts, and it's chapter 17, verse 6. And I just want to read this because I want this to become a definition of our church and of each of us as individuals. But I want to set this up for a minute. This is, again, the church of Acts. They've been going out. They've been doing things crazy. They've caught the eye of the Pharisees, which were the religious people of that time. They didn't like what was happening because they were used to laws and customs and things their way. And all of a sudden, there's this radical shift that Jesus is doing something in the lives of the believers. The church is growing. It's changing. It's dramatically shifting. People are being healed. Lives are just being dramatically saved. And this is the one line that the Pharisees say about the church. And they're trying to arrest some of the disciples of the church. They're trying to kill them. And this is what they say in Acts 17, 6. And this is the English Standard Version. It says this, and may this characterize your life. These are they who have turned the world upside down. These are they who have turned the world upside down. I don't know if you follow the news um, at all, but unfortunately over this past weekend, uh, close to my hometown in Virginia, uh, there's been some tragedy that's going on. We see this 
again and again. We hear that word radical, right? And we, again, go to the negative connotation of that because we always see these radical extremists in their groups do things that's just not right. And if you've been watching the news in Charlottesville, Virginia, there were two groups that were protesting. It was supposed to be a nice, peaceful protest, but in the middle of it, they clashed. And there's been some kind of rioting again in the area. Some tragedy, tragedy has hit that area as well as lives being taken and things like that. And so naturally when we get this idea of radical or reckless, we always tend to go in that route. And, uh, you know, I want you to understand this morning that the early Christians, they weren't nice. They were righteous. And they weren't always politically correct, but they were radical. And again, I don't want you to take that notion and think that that gives us liberty or gives us the right to hurt someone or to belliger or be, you know, just adamantly, the best word I can think of is adamant jerks to people. I'm just, I'm just going to be real because the world sees that too much. The world sees that. And that's not what's happening here in Acts. And I want you to capture this and I want you to get this because I want you to understand that God is looking for people today to be radically sold out to who he is, to radically be in love with him so much that the love that is within him, within us, that is given by him pours out to those around us. And that although people may think we're crazy, people may think we're a little off our rockers, they will see what a life lived in Christ can do and how it can affect. And I want to share a story with you. And I want you to keep this concept in mind, right? Because I think we all know this. I've said this before. Anything you do halfway isn't fun, right? You've got to be all in if you want it to be fun. And I think too often in society and especially in Christianity, we have a lot lot of half-hearted people. They're halfway in with Jesus and they get bored and they want to talk about how boring life is. And I'm going, if you would just dive in, if you would just jump all the way in with Jesus, you would realize how fun this life really is, how awesome this life can be. Sure, it has its struggles, but it's well worth it. And I want to tell you the story of D.L. Moody. And some of you probably recognize that name. He is one of the famous, you know, pastors and ministers of our time. But I want to take you back to when he was 19, 20-ish. And I want to just share a little bit about who he was and how he got started on his journey. And so for him growing up in the city that he lived in, he was a salesman. How many are salesmen in here? Anybody? Right? Nobody. Okay, a few. So I see, I see the hands out there. So you can understand that he was a shoe salesman. And back at that time, there wasn't no like base salary. Like he only got paid if he sold shoes. And some of you are like, I only get paid if I sell stuff. So y'all need to start buying stuff from me. Um, and, and this is what he did. And, and he tells the story. He even tells this of just being in that position where everything is dependent on selling shoes. And, and so it would just happen at this time in his life. There was this gentleman, he was a bigger gentleman that would always come into the shoe store. It was every day, every couple of days during the week. And as he would come into the store, he would make D.L. Moody go to the back and get like 30 pairs of shoes and bring them out. And at that time, you know, it was, you know, a little older school. They would actually kneel down and they would take your shoes off and put the shoes on for you. If you didn't like them, take them off, put them away, go get another set and bring. And so this guy would sit in the chair for hours, making D.L. go back and get another pair of shoes. And then at the end of the day, after all of that work, you would think he would find a pair of shoes that he wanted, but he didn't. 
And so he would just get up and leave. And so you can imagine, even as a 19-year-old, we get frustrated, right? We get a little uneased at somebody that did this. And so he kept doing this day after day. And D.L. thought in his mind, he goes, I'm going to get even with this guy, right? I mean, he's keeping, he keeps coming in doing this. And so he just thought to himself, what's the best way? So he got a big like five-gallon bucket of nice ice-cold water. And he set it underneath the chair that he knew this guy always sat in. And he cut some tears along the chair because he knew this guy was going to sit in the chair, right? And so sure enough, you know, a day or so later, the guy comes in and, he, and D.L.'s ready. Like he thinks this is amazing. And so he's just prepared and the guy comes in and he sits in the chair and he goes to take his shoes and get ready for D.L. to come. And as you can imagine, the chair just busts and he goes right down into the bucket of ice cold water. Now you can imagine, right? It's funny. It's okay. Um, you can imagine what happens. This guy gets up and he's furious and he begins to chase D.L. And so he runs around the store and then out the door and he knows he's not going to be able to come back to this place. And so he takes off running down the street and he's getting away from this guy and finally he gets a break. And as he's walking home, he passes this storefront church and he hears this statement by the pastor of the storefront church. And this is what it says. It says, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man or woman who is totally surrendered to him. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man or a woman that is totally surrendered to him. And in that moment, as he was walking home, Moody began to think about that statement. He began to process that. And he thought, you know, that pastor didn't say God's looking for a talented man or woman. He didn't say he was looking for a sinless man or woman. He didn't even say he was looking for a beautiful or handsome man or woman. He just said he was looking for someone that is totally surrendered. And can I submit to you this morning, thinking about destiny and that thought of being totally surrendered, that destiny is not a matter of chance, but rather a matter of choice. And it's something that we can't wait for. But instead, we must savagely pursue and chase down. Because I don't know about you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but who wants their life to have meaning, right? I, I do. Even if it's not on a global scale, even in my family, I want my life to have meaning, to have value, to be important, right? And it doesn't matter. I'm not just talking on a ministry level here. I'm talking no matter what life has laid before you. When at the end of the day, I want people to say, my life counted for something. It meant something. There was purpose to what I chose to do. And in that moment, D.L. Moody, hearing that statement, decided that he was going to be that man that was totally surrendered to God. And I won't bore you with all of his stories but many of you know he's gone on to be one of the greatest ministers that we've ever been able to encounter in our lives or hear from in our lives. And I believe it stemmed from this moment. In a reckless moment, a reckless abandonment, really willing to give up his job just to get even with somebody, right? He has an encounter with Jesus. And I share that this morning just to say, I don't know where your life is. 
I don't know where you are. Maybe you're in the midst of some chaos, some recklessness. Don't discredit that. Because God can take that moment and he can push you to a place where you can begin to realize that if I give my all to him, if I totally surrender in this moment, things can be different for me. I can have a destiny. And so I want to just set you up for that this morning. I want to talk about what does it mean to live a reckless life with destiny, with a sense of purpose. And understand, purpose isn't a mic. It isn't this moment. Rather, it's what you do in your everyday quiet times. When no one else is looking, that's what sets you up for your destiny. Not when you're in front of everybody else. A mentor of mine always says this, you know, your character, what you build inside of you is what will keep you in the position that God has elevated you to. It's not charisma, right? It's not how good you are with people. It's not how awesome you look in front of people. It's the character that is built in some of the difficult times of your life that will keep you in the place that God wants you to be in. And so I want to talk to you about that. And the first thing I have this, and if you're taking notes, I would encourage you, write this one down. But in a world of compromise, dare to have some absolutes. What does that mean, Brian? In a world of compromise, dare to have some absolutes. And I'm not just talking purity level here, but draw some lines and say, I will not go to that point. I will not cave to those things. I will do everything within my ability to steer clear of some things that will rob me of my destiny. See, I see, especially in students and even in adults that I get the privilege to talk with and just be a part of their lives, that too often we're willing to cave in areas and the whole time we do that, we're not realizing the destiny that the enemy is stealing from us because we lose our ability to lead others when we compromise in areas. And I can't tell you what those absolutes are. I mean, I can say this, you need to line your life up with the Bible, right? That needs to be the number one priority is God's word. Line up with that. But there are some gray areas in life, right? We all know this. There are things that aren't clearly defined in the Bible. And that's where it's important for us to get alone with the spirit of God and say, check me, help me develop the absolutes in my life. Help me develop some boundaries, Right? This becomes clear when I talk to students about purity, right? Think about this. When you draw a line in life, you always go up to that line, right? And yet we see too often, too many people draw the line as the absolute end, right? I'm going to do everything but this. And if I don't do this, my life is successful. But we slowly creep to that line. And before we realize it, instead of stopping at that line, we're already halfway past that line. And I don't know what that line is for you. And so I'd encourage you, set some absolutes in your life that are before that final breaking point. And only you can define that with the help of the Spirit. Figure that out. I mean, even Mark 13, 31 says this, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will never pass, right? What is he saying there? Get in God's word. The only way you're going to be able to develop the absolutes in your life, the only way you're going to be able to live a life that is not of compromise is to be in tune with God and who he is. And we read in John 1, 1, and it's not going to be on the screen, but in the beginning, the word was God and the word was with God. So every time we dive into the word of God, we dive into the very presence of who he is. We invite him into our life. That's why it's so important for us 
It's vital for us to learn scripture, to memorize scripture, to have it inside of us, not because it's just words. It's because it's the very breath of God. It's the very life of God that lives within us when we do that. And that enables us to not compromise on the beliefs that we have. Because here's the reality this morning. You can't change the world if you're like it. You can't change the world if you mimic the world. At some point, you have to be set apart. You have to be different. You have to go against the grain. And that's where this idea of reckless comes in. And I'm not talking, again, about being messy or being careless in the sense of how we treat one another. I'm talking about that we have to learn to drop our guard and not care so much what the world says about us but care more about what God says about us. That's why his word is important because the more we get into his word, the more we understand who he is and who he says we are, right? I think one of the biggest downfalls in society today is simply this, is we are Bible illiterate. We know a lot about Jesus, but we don't know a lot about him, right? We we don't know him. We know a lot about him, but we don't know him because we're not in our word. We're not reading. And I'm not here to tell you that you've got to have some grand reading plan where you read like for three hours a day because I would fail at that, right? I'm not a strong reader, but it's finding time to read scripture every day. Even if it's just a verse of the day, commit yourself to learning that, to memorizing, to understanding how it applies to your life. And you'll begin to understand and see how you can live a life that doesn't compromise your beliefs, that doesn't compromise your destiny. Because the reality is this, is God has called you to a great destiny. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that. But we have to be willing to do our part and set some absolutes. I found this poem and I thought it was just really, really good. It's really short. It says this. Two forces fight within my heart. One is dark and one is smart. The new I love, the old I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. What are you feeding this morning? Are you feeding yourself with God and his spirit and his presence and his word? Or are you feeding yourself with a bunch of junk, right? Because whatever you feed, that's the side that will grow in you. If you feed yourself with what the world offers, you're going to live a life of compromise. And I'm not trying to be mean. I just want to be real with you this morning. But if you feed yourself the word of God, his presence, good relationships, healthy relationships, you will be able to define a life of purpose, of meaning, and of destiny. But you have to make that choice. See, God's a gentleman. He's always there for us. He loves us. He's never gonna leave us or abandon us, but he offers us free will. We get the choice whether we're gonna choose to dive into all that he is or we're gonna choose to walk a half-hearted life. I had one of the students say this to me and it just, it resonated with me and I loved it so much. She said, so many people have a profile picture relationship with Jesus. 
What does that mean? It means a lot of us, we put on a persona so others can see how great and spiritual we are, but on the inside, we're really not even close. And I'm not here to tell you that I'm perfect, that I don't have my mistakes or I don't have my failures. But what I can tell you is, is that my desire is for more of Jesus in my life so that I can live a life of destiny, that I can live a life of purpose, not because I wanna be something. I can tell you right now, I don't care if my name ever goes beyond the walls of this church. What I care about is that my life is an example for others to see that there is a way to live for Christ and not compromise on who you are and what God has called you to be, that you can live for him and that lives will be changed just because I was obedient to his word and I followed him. The second thing for you this morning is simply this. In a world of shallow relationships, dare to verbalize your affections. We live in a world that tears people down, right? Let's, let's just be real. It's easy to go and find negative everywhere you go. I mean, the internet, as great as it is, is such a struggle, right? I know you've heard that before. Because there are people that would have never said a negative word in their life, all of a sudden seem to have just this major, awesome, like, bulliness that rises up within them. And maybe you've been in that place. I'll admit, I've done it before. I shouldn't have, but I did. Uh, And you just, it's easy to tear something down. It's easy to destroy something. It's easy to rip apart one another's faults. But I think it takes some character. It takes more courage, some boldness to build one another up, to encourage one another. Andy Stanley says this, and I love it. Do for a few what you wish you could do for many. See, I think sometimes we get held back from being a part of other people's lives because we feel like I can't help everyone. Don't worry about helping everyone. Help the few that you can help. Be an encouragement to the few that you can be an encouragement to because you never know the impact that they have. You never know the life change that can happen. Jesus himself, although he was open to everybody, he focused on 12. And from those 12, the Christian faith was born and was carried. Stop trying to change the world and start trying to change the few that you have influence over and see what happens there. Take that. Tell you another true story. If you haven't learned, I love stories. I love reading stories. And so you'll get a lot of them this morning. But how many have ever heard or watched the movie Brian's Song? You've heard it. It tells a beautiful story of Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo who were running backs for the Chicago Bears in 1967. And while Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo both were there, they began rooming together. And this was kind of odd in that time and for race relations in this era because as you can imagine, Gail Sayers was an African-American and Brian Piccolo, he was just your white American guy. And so all of a sudden for them, they're roomed together and for both of them, they had had very limited contact with the other race. And so everybody was up in arms. They were wondering, how is this gonna work? How is this gonna play out? How is this, you know, Is there going to be like, you know, fighting? What's the deal? And so one brave reporter got them both to sit down together. And his whole purpose was, is he was going to ask them about the relationship. 
And this is what the writer started with, or the interviewer, he asked this question. He said, how do you two get along? And this was Piccolo's answer to this. He said, we're okay as long as he doesn't use the bathroom. And he would go on to say, well, what do you fellas talk about? And Gail responded, mostly race relations. And as you can imagine, this reporter, he's getting a little nervous because he's not picking up on the humor that both of them had. And and if you've ever watched the movie, you would learn that both of them shared. And what their bond was, was they both had this really great sense of sarcastic humor that they ended up bonding over. And becoming great friends because they just, they could laugh at each other and they could pick at each other. But this poor reporter doesn't understand this. And Piccolo would add to that comment, he would go, nothing but the normal racist stuff is all we would ever talk about. And he didn't know what to say, the reporter. And so he just kind of sat there and he said, who would you want your roommate to be? And Sayers Sayers replied, if you're asking me what white Italian fullback from Wake Forest I would have to say pick. And it goes on and you begin to understand that there's this amazing relationship that is built. But what I want you to hear this morning is just simply this, is amidst all the laughing and the loyalty to each other, Sayers and Piccolo's relationship deepened probably one of the greatest relationships in sports history. And what happened is, is in the 1969 season, Brian Piccolo developed cancer. And he tried to play through some of the side effects, some of the symptoms of cancer, and even during the treatment, but he was very rarely able to ever play. And what many don't know or didn't know at the time, now they do know, is that anytime he could, Sayers would leave the game and go straight to the hospital or straight to Brian's house, and he would sit with him over and over again. And as it would have... They planned with their wives to sit at one of the prestigious awards, the Professional Football Writers Annual Dinner in New York, where Sayers was to be given the George S. Hallis Award for the most courageous player in pro football. But unfortunately, because of his health, Piccolo couldn't attend and had to stay at home in his bed. And as Sayers stood to receive the award that night, he began to cry. And an ordinary, fun-loving athlete who was all about sarcasm and humor, as the tears ran down his face, made this statement. He said this, you flatter me by giving me this award, but I tell you here and now that I accept it for Brian Piccolo. He is the man of courage who should receive this award. And I love Brian Piccolo. Tonight, when you hit your knees, please ask God to love him. See, that's a relationship that we should be having with those around us. See, here's the deal. I see too often in life, relationships become more about manipulation and flattery than they do about love. What do I mean by that? We go into too many relationships going, what can I get out of this relationship? Instead of going in, what can I give? See, what made that relationship great between Sayers and Piccolo was neither one of them knew what to expect going in, but as they got in, they found out they were in it for each other. They weren't in it for personal gain. They could have very easily went in and said, man, I'm just going to pretend to like this guy, pretend to be his friend, because I know just the fame that's going to come, all the publicity that's going to come from this. And they would have never gained anything. But instead, they went in it with a desire. I'm in it for you. 
And as they did that, their lives were dramatically changed and their whole team was dramatically changed. And race relations in the NFL was changed because of those, those two. See, a lot of times we go into relationships and we, we don't go in with the right motivation. We don't go in going, God, what can I do for this person? How can I love them? How can I encourage them? How can I challenge them? We go in going, man, what are they gonna do for me? What are they gonna give me? And then we wonder why relationships, why marriages fail and fall apart. It's because we go in with a set of expectations that the other person can never live up to. That's why the early church was so successful. They weren't going in going, what can you give me? How much money can you drop before me? They were going in going, what can I do for you? You don't have a house, I'll sell my second house so you can have a house. I don't need anything in return. And I'm not here this morning to beg you to sell all your possessions and give it away. I'm here to ask you to begin to change the mindset. Instead of looking at what you can gain from this church, what you can gain from people sitting around you, start looking and go, what can I give to them? How can I encourage them? How can I love them? When you look at people in the community, stop looking at them and going, man, what are they taking from our community and start going, how can I help them rise up from the struggles that they're in? Now hear me, I know people make poor choices, but we've all made poor choices. And there comes a point where we can choose to look at those poor choices and rip those people apart. You can look around this room and you can look at everything that they've done wrong and focus on that, or you can choose to say, you know what, I'm gonna be the person that's gonna come alongside of them and I'm gonna help them rise above the poor choices. And when you do that, you begin to walk in the destiny that God has called for you. And it begins to change lives. See, encouragement simply means this, to put courage into someone else. See, the people around you, they may be waiting for someone just to give them some courage to rise above the situation that they're facing. And you could be that person. The third thing this morning that I wanna share with you is simply this. In a world of spiritual wipeouts, dare to get back up again after you fail. Understand that every setback is a setup for a comeback, right? I'm a sports guy and I'm a big sap and a sucker for the ones that get injured and are gone for a year and then they come back and I always just pull for them to like just have the most phenomenal year ever because I wanna see someone that has risen to heights, fallen, be able to recover because I think there's such an amazing story in that. And I would tell you this morning, no matter what your failure is, it's not final. See, too often the world tells us that if we fail, that's it, you're done, throw in the towel. But I wanna tell you in God's economy, that's not the case. Failure is not final. Quitting is final. When you throw in the towel and you give up, that's when it's over. A failure doesn't mean anything. God uses failure, right? Look at the Bible. Look at Peter, one of the greatest disciples, right? He failed miserably. He was the one that when Jesus was faced with the cross, he denied him. If there was ever a bigger failure, I don't know what it was, right? I mean, this is a guy that walked with Jesus, saw everything he did, and yet he gave up on him. But I want you to understand some things. 
Your failures can push you into God's presence. Your failures this morning don't have to be what define you. It can be what motivates you to get closer to God. Because here's the first thing that you need to understand about Peter. Is even after that moment, he was the first one to run to the tomb. He was the first one to go and seek God. He knew he had messed up, but he chased after God. So I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're in the middle of your mess. Maybe you're in the middle of your failure and you're ready to throw in the towel. Don't. Run to God. Turn to him and see what'll happen. And then I would encourage you to write this scripture down and begin to quote it. Micah 7, 8 says this, and it's become one of my favorite scriptures. It's one that I keep near and dear to my heart because like I said, I'm not a perfect person. I probably fail more often than I succeed. But I always remember this, and this is what it says. It says, do not gloat over me, my enemy, for though I have fallen, I will arise. Though I have fallen, I will arise. And I don't put stock in myself in that. I just know that if I chase after God, even in the midst of my failures, he will pick me back up. He will bring me back to a place, probably even a greater place than where I was if I'm willing to admit that failure to him and chase after him. I wanna close this morning with one final story. And as I go into that story, I wanna give you a quote from Gandhi. It just simply says this. It says, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. You can't expect things to change around you if you're not willing to take that step. But during the height of World War II, a large British force had retreated to the French coastal port of Dunkirk. Many of you have probably seen the movie that's been out. Unfortunately, they don't give this story in the movie, but there's a true story from that battle and war. And finding themselves cornered in, the British army had nowhere to go. They were facing German militia. And they were just barricading them to this beach and pushing them to a place where all they had to do was to swim out. And so in an effort to save not only civilian lives, but his military, Winston Churchill made a call. And he called for all sea vessels. It didn't matter if they were warships. It didn't matter if they were commercial vehicles or uh, commercial boats or personal boats, whatever. He just said, any boat in the area, if you are willing, get to Dunkirk and pick up the soldiers, pick up the civilians, and bring them across the channel to safety. And seeing this, the German military saw the advantage. And as these boats flooded to the area and responded, they decided they were gonna make an attack. And so they sent their bombers. And as their bombers would come by, you can imagine even the small little sea vessels were riddled with gunfire and blown completely out of the water with bombs. And the story tells us the true story of one ship called the Lancastria, which was a converted cruise liner. They were just in the area, and so they responded to the call. And as they filled their decks, their halls, with soldiers and civilians, they were on their way to try and get to safety when three German bombers flew over. And they began to bomb the ship. And as fate would have it, one of the bombs went right down the middle smokestack of the cruise liner, went all the way down to the base, exploded, severing 
the boat almost in two. And as you can imagine, the screams, the cries, just the chaos that reigned as this once grand cruise liner is beginning to sink. And the men that were in the hall realizing they were trapped with no escape as the water began to flood in. And so all the people on the decks were beginning to run to the lifeboats. And yet there stood one chaplain in the British army. And he could hear the the cries and the screams and just the terror that filled as the boat began to split and sink. And instead of running to a lifeboat, he began to walk through the crowd, moving back and forth as everybody else is running away. And he gets to the point and he stands at the edge of the cracked ship. And he looks down into an abyss. He can't see anything. It's pure darkness down there. But he can hear the screams and the cries of the men that are trapped, knowing there's no escape, knowing there's no hope for them to get out. And in a moment, he thinks to himself, what can I do? What can I do to help? And probably in our eyes, we would consider a reckless moment. He jumps off the ledge down into the abyss where all these men are. And it's recorded by other military men and other bystanders that as he jumped in, the next sound they heard would give those that were on the lifeboats and swimming to rescue the courage they needed to get to safety or to stay was because instead of screams of terror, they began to hear shouts and songs of him to Jesus. Because this young chaplain, not caring what the world would say, jumped in to help them and began to lead them to the very presence of God, knowing that he would never return from that moment. And I ask you this morning, are you willing to jump in for the people around you? Lauren talked about small groups, and we believe so much in small groups here at Faith Community. It's a desire because we believe life change really does happen in small groups. And I would encourage you to get involved in one of those because you might find your Brian Piccolo or Gail Sayers in that group. You might find the person that you can jump in with and help bring them to a level they've never been. Help get them away from whatever addiction, struggle that they may be facing this morning. See, the reality is, I think we all get caught up in these grand destinies, right? We all want to be such great success. And I don't say that in a negative thing, but we fail to realize that the greatest success in life is for us to give our lives to someone else. Jesus himself said, right? The world will know us or know him by the way we love one another the way we give ourselves to one another. And so again, I ask you this morning, are you willing to live a reckless life of purpose for those around you and walk in the very destiny that God has for you? I wanna pray with you this morning as we close. If you would, just bow your heads. God, I thank you right now. I thank you for who you are and what you do in our lives, Lord God. And Father, I pray that in moments like this, we can begin to look at those around us 
with the eyes that you have, God, that we would see people as you see them, Lord, that we would begin to live in part of the destiny that you have called us to live, and that's for others, Lord God. Father, you said it, that first and foremost, we are to love you with everything that we are. And God, I just pray that we chase after you with everything that we are. But second is to love others. It's to love others. And so I just pray that we can develop that attitude, that characteristic in our lives, God, that we love out of the abundance of love you have placed within us. That as we chase after you, God, and we give our all to you, we will begin to give our all to those around us. God, may we be like the early church and live reckless lives for you, God, not in worry about what the world might say, but just walking in what you have called us to walk in, reaching out to those the world considers outcasts, reaching out to those that are broken and hurting, to begin to love them, encourage them, Lord God. May we be those people, I pray. And may it be said about Faith Community Church, may it be said about every individual in here, these are they who turn the world upside down. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen.